So I'd like to introduce Eric Call for you. Um, if you don't know who Eric is, uh, count that a blessing to your life. Uh, Eric was our, our first baptism here at Freshwater, and um, truly it has been a wonderful blessing for me to get to see Eric and his beautiful wife, Carrie, grow in grace and knowledge of who Christ is and who they are in Jesus. So I'm very thankful for them, and I'm thankful now that Eric is preaching for your second time here at Freshwater, right? Is that right? Second time? Third time. Third time, okay. Um, third time here at Freshwater, and um, I'm sure that uh, you're going to be blessed as he preaches the word to us. So I'm going to pray for him, and then after that, we will turn our copies of God's word together. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes. Heavenly Father and Lord, we are grateful and we are thankful for all that you are and all that you do for us. I'm thankful, Lord, that we get to gather today as your church, as the body of Christ on the Lord's Day, celebrating the fact that you would go to the cross and that you would suffer for our sins. You would pay the penalty for our disobedience. But on the third day, on Sunday morning, you would rise from the grave. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been coming together to celebrate the fact that you have done everything that it takes for us to be in a relationship with you. I'm thankful for Eric. I'm thankful for his beautiful wife, Carrie. I'm thankful for their ministry here at Freshwater, the way that they serve. And now as Eric preaches the word to us, we know that we need the Holy Spirit to help us to focus, to just see what it is that you've said in your scripture. My prayer is that when we leave here this morning after he's shared what you've revealed to him, my prayer is just that we'd be a little bit more like you. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Joshua. Like Pastor Joshua said, my name is Eric Call. I'm just any old partner here. I'm nothing special. Just some guy that he lets get to come up here and preach to you all every once in a while. I'm grateful for it. But uh, we're going to be uh, doing kind of a standalone sermon this morning. Josh is in between sermon series. So uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. If you have a pew Bible in front of you, that would be page 812. Now, many of you know me and many of you don't know me, but a, a name that I'm going to share with you here in a minute, you may or may not heard of, uh, but you probably don't realize that she's actually my mother, and that's Alice Longfellow. Now, she owns Longfellow's Garden Center in uh, Centertown, Missouri, and uh, so many of you may have been there or at least heard of it, but I bring this up because I want to tell you about my childhood with this. Now, like many children of business owners, I grew up spending time and helping around the business. So as I would be up there, I would watch thousands of people over the years come through the garden center with questions and concerns about their plants. Now, many of these questions revolved around something being wrong with their plants lots of times, and they would, they would come in and either bring like a, a leaf or a branch or simply just described to the best of their ability what the plant looked like and I'm proud to say that almost every single time, my mom was able to diagnose what the problem was. Now, the customers would often ask how she was able to come to this conclusion, and she, of course, would provide them with how she determined the health or lack of the plant. Sometimes the bark would be cracked, or there would be little holes from insects. Um, the leaves may have a blemish or be discolored, and sometimes the ends of the branches would do something strange, or there would be signs like a, a caterpillar making a nest. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen that. It's pretty obvious. But now, sometimes the customer would have an idea of the problem based off a very visible sign, like a caterpillar's nest. But other times, it would take mom's very well-trained eye to spot just what the issue was. Just like people... 
Plants, when they're not healthy, often have symptoms that reveal the true issue. Now, growing up in that business, I was exposed to an agriculturally influenced culture, which gave me the opportunity to witness and learn things that many, many other people would not have the opportunity to do so. Now, we're going to see in our text today that Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a lot of references to agricultural um, agricultural parables. He uses this a lot um, to, to draw lines to connect certain teachings with things that this agriculturally uh, influenced culture that the people are in in this time would have understood and experienced. So, like I said, we're going to see that Jesus is in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon in, ever given by Jesus in the entire New Testament. And it's only recorded here in the book of Matthew. Now, I highly encourage you to read the entire Sermon on the Mount because it's chock full of the teachings of Jesus. I mean, it's literally just him talking for about five chapters. It's awesome. Now, what we're going to see, though, is we're going to see how he draws the connection between fruit and the health of a plant and the health of a tree with the fruit thereof of the life of a Christian and then therefore the health of a Christian. He does this the same way that a horticulturist like my mom may warn a plant owner that if they don't heed certain precautions that their plant will die. Jesus warns us that if we don't heed his words, our souls may just as well die. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is a discourse where Jesus goes back and forth showing the hypocrisy of the false believers in the crowd and what true belief looks like for his followers who are also listening. So, where we're picking up in the text, Jesus is warning the true believers in the crowd of what to be watchful for regarding false prophets and people who confess a faith with their lips but have no inward relationship with the Lord. He tells of how we can discern the spiritual health of a person the same way like my mother, would judge a tree by its fruit. Jesus will give us two clear warnings regarding the danger of those with false belief and what their outcome will be on the day of judgment. So let's go ahead. Let's pick up in Matthew chapter 7. Let's pick up where Jesus is teaching us. So please read along with me. I'm going to be reading 15, verse 15 through 23. In verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, as we look at this scripture, we, we see Jesus is right in the middle of some uh, pretty pretty strong words. Uh, and any of you that spent any time in the New Testament, you'll, you'll see that Jesus does not mince words. He speaks it 100% like it is. But now in my study in preparation for this text, I came to understand that, it kind of as I stated earlier, that in the group of people that are listening to Jesus, there's a mix. Those that Jesus is speaking directly to 
and those he is speaking of, the ones he is warning about. So as he's warning people to beware of false prophets, the false prophets as well are listening to him. So in other words, the wolves are currently mixing in with the sheep. So I want you to kind of just get an understanding of, of what the context here is. So now as much of the context of these verses directly spoken to the people who heard this from Jesus and, and also given as a warning to the hearer on either side of the crowd, mind you, I believe that the Holy Spirit and the inspiring of this text recorded this account as a warning to every believer that would come to faith in Jesus from the moment that he spoke these words to the moment that he comes back in the future. Now, frankly, for me personally, when I read these text, when I read through this text, I believe that outside of the coming judgment for non-believers, that this section of text probably contains some of the biggest warnings that we're going to find, and that we should heed as people who read the scripture, whether it be a believer or not, because he's giving us um, a, a taste of, of what will come on the day of judgment. So, it's my habit to read through a section of scripture and then analyze it. And, and when, then we read through some more and so forth. And I know you probably, if you've heard me preach before, you probably think he reads scripture like five times. And we, like we just read that five minutes ago. But I'm going to do it to you anyways. So, go ahead and look again with me. We're going to read verse 15 through 20 again. Uh, I, just, I really like to keep going through this just so that way you all can kind of internalize it and understand where I'm coming from here. But So verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. <clears throat> a healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, in the New Testament, we see the word fruit used many times. And it always carries the context of displaying an evidence of salvation. Now, carrying that same context into today's scripture, uh, Jesus is ultimately saying, Look, you're either saved or you're not saved. There's no in between. You know... It's just like the fruit, you're either healthy or you're diseased. He doesn't say, well, you can be kind of diseased or you can be kind of healthy and you're as long as you're somewhere in between. No, you're either diseased or you're healthy. So how do we judge what healthy fruit will look like for us? Or in the context of today's scripture, the fruit of a person to determine if someone is a false prophet so that we're not led astray. Well... I hope that every single one of you owns one of these. If not, talk to Pastor Joshua or one of the leaders here or whatever. We'll get you hooked up. Read this book. God gave us this book to be able to see the signs of either good fruit or bad. God's word is our ruler in this area. It's, it's, it's full of examples of, of exactly what a life following Christ and God looks like. I feel pretty confident that with little, little time spent, you can open this up and find God's principles very, very easily. So read your Bibles. But I want to talk a little bit more about what this fruit, fruit is and what it's going to look like. So now while as humans we display a fruit, either healthy or diseased, and while this text is 100% true to that, 
I feel like the main point of Jesus' words in the first part of this uh, is in reference to what this section of text opens up with, which is also the first warning that Jesus gives us. Beware of false prophets. Now that poses a great question for some of you. I mean, if you've not been in church your your whole life or you're not really necessarily familiar with the Bible, you may say, what exactly is a prophet? Well, the Bible uses the word prophet in two similar yet different contexts. One, probably the oldest, is the position of prophet, which is someone God would speak through to deliver a specific message to his people. Now, in Deuteronomy, we see that if a person claims to be a prophet, but then their message doesn't come true or turns up false, then they are a false prophet, a crime that God takes so seriously that he demanded they be killed on the spot. Now, the other use of the word prophet is used to describe more of a general state of prophecy. It's, it's like a, a posture of teaching in regards to the person of God. Uh, to give a kind of a biblical example, I could be uh, speaking prophecy when I say, all who do not repent for your sins will face, will face judgment on the day of Christ. So, and, and, and kind of think of it this way, it's like I'm speaking truth that's found in God's word in reference to things to come. So, it's, it's a stance of saying that, you know, I know this about God and I am therefore teaching you about it. So um, kind of as we go along here today, uh, I want you to think about when, if in that context, a false teacher. I'm going to use the word false prophet because that's the word that Jesus used here and I want to stay true to the text. But just kind of think as we go along and talk about what a false prophet looks like. Think about a false teacher. So before we go into what these false prophets may look like in today's society, let me start off by saying what a false prophet is not. Because I've heard this term thrown around a lot. And unfortunately, if we don't really understand what that is, it can, one, you can hurt feelings, you can divide uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's not what we want to do. So a false prophet is not necessarily someone who disagrees on the method or form of things like baptism or institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, one that I heard recently, uh, the use of alcohol by believers or the differences that separate, say, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Now, while we as Christians do not necessarily have to agree on everything, and I do challenge that we be constantly in God's word, like I said earlier, to know truly what God's desire is for these things like I listed, but we need to keep focused that as long as we are going to Scripture and to get our interpretation of these issues, we ultimately can agree to disagree. Um, and, and, and most importantly, it doesn't make them a false prophet. Now, what is a false prophet? Okay, I want you to think outside of denominational lines. This is a bigger picture because what, um, even though, say, as Baptists, we may disagree with some things that a Methodist church does and they they do the same, I want you to think outside of that because ultimately a false prophet is somebody that's going to try to... Um, mislead all believers of all denominations. So think outside of denomination. How do you recognize this? Well, a false prophet today, a false prophet will be someone who says they are a believer in Jesus. They live a lifestyle that is appealing to Christians, and they would appear to have it all together. But what specifically makes them a false prophet, and by definition, is someone who teaches others, and they either take away from or add to scripture, specifically to fill a set teaching or doctrine. 
So um, I want you to think of, like I would say, in other words, say, say that they have a teaching or doctrine that's already established, but they, have, they can't derive it from Scripture, so they therefore have to add to Scripture, for example, uh, the Book of Mormon, uh, Latter-day Saints. On the flip side, on the other side of that, someone may teach some tenets of the Bible and, or Christianity, but, or they use the name Jesus, but they take away or discount from Scripture, say something, for example, anything that refers to God's judgment. Um, I know if you've listened to any, unfortunately, if you spend any time on uh, social media or listen to enough quote-unquote Christian speakers, you'll hear people that will say things where they, they are straight up discounting parts of the Bible and say, well, that's just not really applicable or that's just not really, you know, God's love evolves and therefore, we're, we, you know, he just, he's all love. You know, that, that, that is taking away from Scripture and thereby would define them as a false prophet. So now, while adding to Scripture may be easy to spot like the Mormon church, but the hard ones are most likely the ones that take away from Scripture because they slowly undermine Scripture one verse at a time. And it's, it's the old brick-in-the-wall effect of if you, take, if you want a wall gone, take a brick down one brick at a time, and slowly people won't even realize that the wall was ever there. So these are the ones that are most likely to people astray because of that. These people, these false prophets, they look, they act, they speak, and they dress like a pastor or a preacher. They're somebody that's going to get your attention. They're going to be somebody that's got a lot of charisma. They're going to be, they're going to look and sound trustworthy. They got that nice, perfect smile. Yeah, yeah. But, they, you know, ultimately they may even have their own church. But they will say things like this. And this is one of the things that in today's society you need to listen for. They'll say things like, oh, Jesus is just another way to get to heaven. Or, you know, Jesus' death is, that's what gets everybody to heaven, but it's okay if you believe in their God or you believe in something else. Well, you don't have to believe Jesus actually rose from the dead. You just have to believe he was raised in your heart. Or, as long as you come to church and take communion, you're good to go. Or, if you pray hard enough and just have enough faith, you can name it and claim it. You'll be healthy and wealthy. If you just ask for it, it'll be yours. Well, typically, if their preaching makes us feel good about ourselves and just about ourselves and has no conviction on us as sinners or draws our attention to anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, beware. Judge what they say carefully against the word. God gave it to use us, gave it to us to use for a guideline. You starting to see a trend here? Also, just because someone quotes the Bible doesn't mean that they are using the text properly or for good. The devil doesn't wear red horns in a cape. The best way for Satan to steer a Christian off their path is to sound just like another Christian. Compare everything you hear to the Word of God. And especially the context that it's written in, because that can change a lot. Now, I want you to kind of think with me as far as taking Scripture out of context or looking like a preacher. I think, I think of some of these uh, televangelists sometimes that we see that have these big showboating uh, exhibitions where people come into thousands because the, of, of the teacher's charisma and flair or maybe a specific message they're teaching. But, you know, the people, uh, they'd be running up and down the aisles and are looking to, like they are being healed of all sorts of diseases. And, and it may look good. And, and, you know, I saw one of these just last week, and which is why it made me think of this. It looks good. But then 
and this was a rerun, so I'd already heard about this guy, but just pretended it was the other way around. I hadn't heard it. The, the next, you know, you go on the news and you look and see this exact same preacher was caught that very evening of his event with enough prostitutes and cocaine to make Pablo Escobar look like a care bearer. I mean, <laughs> what? How is this, how is this a, 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 good, a, good, a good thing? We, this is something that we should be looking for. And, and the one thing that I think a lot of these guys that you hear about that get caught in these, what, it, what, you, what you find they have in common, if you, if you research what makes their teaching stand out, you'll find out what they're saying is almost always contradictory to Scripture or at least twisted in a way that makes their Scripture more appealing. Now, this doesn't obviously mean that every preacher on TV is this way. I mean, for example, Billy Graham was, uh, was very dramatic and well-spoken, but when he taught, he was grounded in Scripture, and he always pointed the glory back to God, and he was, and purposely was leading people to Christ. Now, remember, though, how do we tell the difference between, say, a Billy Graham or um, a, a Benny Hinn? Is this... Judge them off the word of God. Judge your teachers. Judge Joshua. Judge me. Judge everybody you hear. Is what they're saying line with God's word? Now, this is a really good time to emphasize on the importance of being in community with other Christians. Now, here at Freshwater, we have what we call life groups. I'm a leader of a life group myself, actually. Um, sorry for you all that come to my life group, but whatever. You know, but the, <laughs> the importance of being in a life group it's so that we can come together in fellowship, but the importance of it is, is so we can have a, a, a group, an environment where we're comfortable, we're honest with each other, we know that the other one loves you, that we love each other, and then we can discuss teachings and theologies that maybe we have been exposed to, or maybe we are currently being exposed to. And like I said, in that open, honest, loving environment, we can sit down and we can look at God's word and decide, where does this fit? Where does this fit? You know, simply coming to church isn't what's going to keep us on the straight and narrow when it comes to guarding against and guarding uh, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ against false prophets. We've got to be in these, this, tight, this tight Christian community to be able to get that discipleship that we need and I believe Jesus wants for us to have. So we've just looked at the first warning that Jesus gives us and beware of false prophets. So we're going to go ahead and move on because I'm sure you guys don't want to be late for supper tonight or in fact we've got Super Bowl tonight. Go Patriots. And... Uh, <laughs> Jared's out. <laughs> But let's go ahead and pick up in verse 21 and look at what Jesus' second warning is to us today. So verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. For me personally, this is probably one of the scariest section of verses in the whole New Testament. And, and I've talked with a lot of you, and I know that we've talked about this scripture, and I know that you feel the same way. And, and frankly, at least it leaves us wondering, am I that person? Am I that person? That will stand and say, Jesus will say, I never knew you. 
Well, that's all the more reason why we need to look at Scripture. That's all the more reason why it's important to take a look at this. And why is the second warning that Jesus gives us this morning? The second warning is beware of false confession if you're taking notes. Beware of false confession. Now let me break this down for you. What Jesus is ultimately saying is that just because we do good works or just because we say things that Christians say doesn't mean that our hearts are in the right place. But going even deeper than that, I, w- I would like to call attention to the fact that these actions found in verse 22 are, are pretty dramatic works. Uh, verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? But note, these are works that I, I really believe from my study and just, frankly, the, uh, the opinion of Eric Call. This is done in public. These are public works. While I guess they could have been done in private, I don't believe that's the point he's trying to make. I think the reason he chooses these parables is to show that just because what we do in front of others isn't necessarily a representation of what we do in private. So just because we do a good work in public or on a Sunday morning, we look nice, we put our nice shirt on, and we act like we got it all together, doesn't mean that our lives as a whole reflect, reflect a good fruit. I mean, I think of myself before I got saved. I could fit in pretty good with the rest of the Christian crowd when I wanted to. But as soon as I got in a different crowd, I was a different person altogether. You know, and, 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 and going back to the fruit parable that Jesus gives, you see fruit comes from all over the whole tree. So just how one branch may have some nice pretty apples on it, the other side of the tree is rotting and diseased. I have a pear tree in my yard that puts off a ton of pears, but one whole side of the tree is literally just rotting in place and doesn't produce anything. And the tree, according to my mother, is dying. There you go. Just because fruit comes from one part doesn't mean that it encompasses the whole thing. And remember what I said. Jesus, or remember what Jesus said, that fruit is either healthy or diseased. There's no in-between. So, because this fruit comes from a whole tree, and if we just look at a slice of our lives, like maybe how we act on Sunday morning, we don't see the whole picture. We're deceiving ourselves and others. I think of a guy whenever, I was thinking about this and when I was writing this, and and this guy's always kind of stuck out in my mind, but I thought it was appropriate to tell you this story this morning, but I think of a guy I met one time when I was visiting some friends in Colorado. Now, for anyone who's been out west or spent much time in west, you know, Colorado, Montana, Texas, anywhere out there, uh, you'll, you'll notice that the cowboy and rodeo lifestyle is, is a big deal and definitely a lot more prominent than, say, around here in mid-Missouri. So now my friends that lived out there, they lived on a 3,000-acre ranch and truly did live the cowboy rancher lifestyle. And they did a lot of work from horseback. Uh, they worked livestock from horseback and, and, and attended the daily workings of the ranch in many of the same ways that their forefathers would have simply for the, tra- the sake of tradition and leg- legacy. If I can talk this morning. Now, if you had met them off the ranch, you wouldn't have necessarily recognized them as being cowboys. Uh, They didn't really flaunt it or try to make a a show. And frankly, unless you saw them wearing cowboy boots, you really wouldn't have any idea that they they managed this huge 3,000-acre ranch. Now, it was a tradition of theirs when we'd be visiting for them to throw a kind of a party that usually involves some slow-smoked meat or fried fish. I mean, always something good to eat. But... As with any shindig that you might have for a friend come to visit, you would take the opportunity to invite some of your local friends as well. 
Well, one of the folks that came was a friend of Rich. Uh, Rich is the rancher. He was a really nice guy and, and quite pleasant to visit with. But the first thing anyone would have noticed about this guy was he was decked out in everything you could think cowboy. I mean, he had the, the high-dollar boots. He had the, the Stetson hat, the belt buckle the size of a dinner plate, which if you're riding a horse, how does that make any sense? I mean, that thing is like this big. And, 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 and you know, we pulled up. He was in a, a King Ranch Ford pickup that was decked out with all the cool rancher, the stuff that a rancher might want to have, bale fork and the guard and everything. And, and I was thinking, man, this guy really must know his stuff. I mean, this guy's true. He's a true McCoy. Well, after the party, I made reference to him about being a rancher to Rich. And Rich just kind of like, then he goes, yeah, uh, he's a real estate broker in Denver. And uh, his dad, I think, has about 10 cows as a hobby down in the Boulder area. But I don't, I don't think he's been down there in years. Uh, he, uh, he goes, Texans call that big hat no cattle. <laughs> I, I tell you this story to relate that we all have things that we perceive to others that aren't true. I mean, even if we don't realize that we're doing it, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this guy may have really thought he was a cowboy. I don't know. But it couldn't have been any more the opposite in my personal opinion. You know, after all, all this talk of perceiving others and, or perceiving, perceiving to others and the way we perceive things, you know, it kind of it kind of makes us come back and say, "What, what? Is, you know, what? What if I'm that person? Am I perceiving something to others, or am I living something that ultimately isn't true? Is that me? How do Eric? How you say all this? You say to beware. You say to be careful. You say to be watchful. What do I do about that? How do I? How do I actually take that and apply it? Well." I want to give you three points. So if you're taking notes, I do ask that you jot this down. And you're going to talk about this in the life groups that do um, sermon-based study. You'll actually be talking about this. And I highly encourage you to uh, take some time in this in your life groups too. But um, just take these three points away as, as kind of a, uh, a way that we can either receive assurance of your salvation or to determine if you are that person that Jesus warns us of being. So number one, ask yourself, do I desire to know and do God's will in my life? What if God called you to something extreme? I mean, I remember, I remember hearing this, this sermon one time that was, or not sermon, this song in a Sunday school setting that was, the whole song was, God don't call me to Africa. And it's like, well, what if he did? Well, what are you going to do about that? Are you just going to say, nope, not going I like my comfy house and I like all this. So no, God, I don't care if you are the God of the universe. I'm not going. How do you, where do you, where do you fall in that? I'm not saying that everybody gets called to go to mission in Africa or South America or wherever place that you're going to live in a grass hut and walk around barefoot. But uh, the, where, where is your heart in relationship to that? What if God did call you to that? Ask yourself. Number two, ask someone you trust if there is healthy fruit in your life. Now, it would be my recommendation to you that it be someone like Pastor Joshua or your life group leader. But it needs to be someone who knows you but won't butter you up and tell you just what you want to hear. They need, it needs to be somebody that you know cares about you but cares about you enough to tell you something you may not want to hear. So ask someone you trust. 
Number three, the whole point of the message this morning, it seems like, what I keep coming back to, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Insert yourself into Scripture. Look at the epistles of Paul, any of his writings. Read through those. Look at and see how he references the believers or non-believers that he writes the messages to. Look at the warnings he gives. Look at the things that he condones them for. Insert yourself into that. Would he be somebody that you would praise or that he would praise? Or would he be somebody, you'd be somebody that he would scorn? What about in comparison to the great commission of Jesus when he tells us to go into the whole world from Judea to Samaria to the end of the world and make disciples in his name? Where do you fall in that? Are you being obedient to that? So we've looked at, we've looked at these two warnings today. Beware of false prophets and beware of false confession. Now I must ask you, have you been led astray by either of these? Have you believed a lie preached to you by a false prophet? Have you been living a lie based around a false confession? Or maybe this is the first time you ever even heard anything like this. Anything about this Jesus and his gospel and his word. Well, I'm going to beg of you. Fall on your knees before Christ. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Believe in who he is. And if, and if you don't know who he is, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you what God's word says he is. Jesus, God incarnate, 100% man and 100% God, the perfect God man. He was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life that we couldn't, only to go to the cross for crimes he didn't commit. On that cross, he took upon himself all the sin of those that would place it upon him. He died in payment for that sin. He died in payment for your sin, your sin, my sin, everybody's. But when he died, the tomb they laid him in couldn't contain him. Because after three days, he rose to life. And with that resurrection, all that placed their trust in him. Anybody who places their sin on the cross of Christ receives forgiveness for it. And they will resurrect with him on the last day, as his word promised, and will be with him in perfect relationship for all eternity. This is good news, guys. This is the best news. There's not one thing that one of you have done that could keep you from coming to Christ. You know, if you haven't placed your trust in Christ until this point, I beg you to do so now. Now, here at Freshwater, we have three ways that we uh, typically uh, want you to respond to that. So if, you, if, 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 you've got the, uh, if you've got this call in your heart that, uh, hey, I need, I need to fall before the cross. I mean, I, I've lived a lie or I just haven't, I haven't, uh, I've never heard any of this. Um, the first way that you can respond to that is uh, when, I, here in a minute, I'm going to pray. And the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in another song. And while that song is going on, I'm going to be standing back there at the connect table. And um, if you just want to know more about what Jesus, what this relationship with Jesus looks like, come back and talk to me. Um, the second way, when you came in this morning, uh, you should have gotten one of these. Inside, there's a, a connect card with a box that says, I want to follow Jesus. Fill this information out, check that card, and somebody will be in touch with you very shortly to talk with you about what this looks like. And thirdly, uh, at the very end of the service, I'm going to be standing at the, at, uh, the entrance of the building, just kind of greeting people as they leave and just, you know, uh, visiting with you all. And um, 
you know, as you're walking out and you just, you just, just pull me aside, just grab me uh, or pastor Joshua, um, just, just, just grab one of us and say, you know what? I want to, I want to follow Christ. I want to know what this looks like in my life. So let me pray for us and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sing uh, another awesome song to our Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask that um, as I uh, thank you for this word that you've given me this morning. I just I ask that if anybody's out there that has not placed their trust in Christ or has doubts of that or where, where they're at in that, I just ask that you would um, let them uh, just, just humble themselves and come before, come before your throne and just lay it out there before you. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the fact that uh, you've given us this, this, uh, this, this owner's manual of how to live our lives. Heavenly Father, there is, there is all the things we need to know about how to live a life pleasing to you in this book. Now, God, I just ask that uh, as we leave here this morning that we would uh, leave here a little bit more like you. In your son's name I pray, amen.